So here's my idea. I think on April 20th, which is the, the anniversary of Columbine, we don't go to work, we don't go to school, we stay home. Because it's statistically, is the most likely day for a school shooting, is April 20th, that's according to the FBI. So I already put in my calendar for my kindergartner, Daddy Day. We ain't going to school on April 20th. Uh, and and my, my son, he's six, he's uh, very interested in, in war and violence, and so he started writing a book. You know what he titled it? All is Love. And he wants everybody to know that war is not good. Is that we need love, we need peace, we need de-escalation. April, historically, is the most violent month in the United States, going back to the Revolutionary War. Consciousness. The notion of the self. Personality structure. Transactional analysis. Symbiosis. Zen Buddhism. Teacher-student. Relationships. Training yourself in how to think. To subvert is to undermine the existing system of inscribed power and authority. What's happening in the digital space. The virtual world. Much of us live in a hyper-stimulated present where language itself has become the info currency in the sequence of corporate capitalism. The injunction of the virtual world is... The gatekeepers of our speech and written word are global tech monopolies. We cannot transcend or go beyond our lack through craving. What are we going to do? How are we going to live our life? The subversive therapist is about what the virtual world is doing to us and what we can do about it. In this episode, you will hear Andrew elaborate on his analysis of the dominant narrative of American culture, the Top Gun script. Specifically, Andrew discusses despair, exhibitionism, and passivity in the context of the mass murderers Dylan Klebold and Eric Harris. Columbine, April 20th, 1999. The Columbine kids were suicidal and wanted to be the top gun, meaning infamy via violent revenge. Their failed bombing attempt was a real-life simulation of the Oklahoma City bombing, April 19th, 1995. They use the medium of the times, that is, the television, to disseminate and promote their act of terror. Today, the mass shooter simulates prior mass shootings. They use the instantaneousness of social media as a medium to broadcast themselves in their imperial act. Finally, Andrew advocates subversion and passivity via a stay-at-home day on April 20, 2023. Enjoy. Well, welcome everyone. Um, thanks so much for coming to this uh, lecture. I'm Andrew Archer. I'm a licensed independent clinical social worker. I'll kind of introduce myself in a, in a minute. Uh, over the last three years, I've been studying, writing, talking about the virtual world and our relationship with essentially big tech, uh, what that looks like on a psychological level. Um, and so today I want to try and connect the dots between the virtual world, these tech uh, platforms, and uh, mass shootings and, and violence in American culture uh, in general. And what I want to use as the template is the 1999 Columbine uh, massacre in Colorado. And in the end, I want to suggest something we can actually do about it, so we're not just going to talk about it um, today, but the, the short version is these mass shooters are engaged in passive behavior, and I'll explain what I mean by that, because most of the work I do in psychotherapy with clients is confronting 
when people are not dealing with their problems, not thinking about them, adapting, solving uh, problems. And so what these mass shooters do is they have problems, like all of us, and they become very agitated. So 67% of the mass shootings, the, the shooter is agitated, uh, and usually in a crisis um, when it happens. So the agitation leads to violence and incapacitation. Uh, these are almost all suicide uh, plans. They have a lot of research going into them. They don't have an exit plan. Uh, so, so violence and incapacitation are passive strategies because you've ended any responsibility for dealing with the, the problem. Okay, so it's kind of a tall order in 60 minutes, but that's what, that's what we're going to try and do. Um, I come at this issue more from a parent than a clinician. I have three young children. My oldest is in, in kindergarten this year, so I'm very concerned that essentially, uh, you know, I'm, I'm reading a book by Susan Lynn right now called Who's Raising the Kids? And you don't have to read the whole book. It's corporations. It's Silicon Valley. Uh, very individualistic, very materialistic values built into these platforms that, you know, teach competition um, and that kind of thing. So I'm concerned with how they're going to deal with technology as they grow up. And of course, I'm frightened that there's going to be a mass shooting at uh, the school where my kindergartner goes. So I decided I'm going to try and get out in front of this, talk about what I know from a psychological perspective, and really try and see if we can come together on this issue. It's really not a political issue. It's not, I mean, you can raise your hand if, if, you're, uh, if you're in favor of children getting shot by guns when they're, when they're innocent. Um, so it's not a right-left issue, and there are actual things we can do that I'll talk about. And we can also look to other movements. If you remember Parkland, Florida, uh, 2018 on Valentine's Day, Nicholas Cruz um, shot a number of, of students um, and then fled, but it was the birth of this movement. These high school kids traveling around, going on CNN, interviews, pushing uh, for changes, for the adults to be adults and make some decisions to protect them. So six days out of the week, I'm sitting down, usually one-on-one -on -one with clients doing counseling uh, with them, and I've been doing that since 2008. I started Minnesota Mental Health Services in 2017, just down the road on Riverfront. My wife works there, but I've also taught in the, the university, and I've done some meditation teaching in the community, including real, real little kids. But probably the, the most formative and interesting um, aspect of my career is that when I was living in Wisconsin, I had a chance to teach meditation in Boscobel Prison which is in Boscobel, Wisconsin, um, a predominantly white town. And it was a uh, supermax prison was how it was d designed. So that show, that documentary, Making a, Mur a Murderer, Stephen Avery was in Boscobel. It's essentially all solitary confinement. And what myself and a couple other teachers would do is we would go in and we'd meet with the men in solitary confinement. And we would teach them mindfulness, meditation, a secular approach to meditation. Of course, the prison liked it because they want them to be more mindful and, and less uh, reactive. But some of these men were in what's essentially the hole, you know, uh, completely isolated, no social contact for over 10 years. And what's astonishing was, you know, these, these people weren't putting tinfoil tin helmets on their heads and talking crazy. 
consciousness cannot be damaged. It cannot be broken. The body can wither away and will, and will right? But human consciousness, ego consciousness, that we'll talk a little bit about, cannot be broken. These men were not uh, broken. But the, the reason I mention this is because in order to understand American culture, you have to understand the prison system. We have the largest prison system in the world, not by a little bit, by a lot. So we have these colonies within the United States. We have 800 to 1,000 military bases abroad. So we have territories outside of the US, but this is what military empires do, is they colonize, but what they do abroad, they eventually bring back home. So it really kind of radicalized me to go into the prison and say, wow, you know, especially as someone born, you know, identified as white, to see almost all people of color in an all white town with all white security people uh, in uh, what, what can, I don't think it's dramatic to say is a kind of living hell to be in this uh, space. So that was back in 2016, moved back here 2017. I'm from Minneapolis uh, originally. So let's talk about uh, despair. And again, I want to tie these three things together, American culture, uh, the mass shooter, and uh, the virtual world. So this thing, you know, every time we pull up our news feed, it's not like we experience joy, right? We experience that the world is a hellish place, very bad things happening, it's a scary place. Uh, so if you're at all aware of what's going on in the world, uh, the temperature, the global temperature keeps increasing each year. Uh, there's war, there's famine, the sea levels are rising slowly. To understand that is to experience despair. So that's, that's the truth of the situation. That's what Franco Berardi says. Despair is not a mental illness. It's a normal uh, feeling that we all experience. Um, <clears throat> and so this, thing, this machine pumps us full of despair, but at the same time, it pacifies us. So we scroll and we passively take in the options that the platforms give us. So it both increases despair, but also pacifies us, and we can escape and really do nothing about some of the problems um, that we're experiencing, either on an individual or a cultural level. So hopelessness, despair, to come down from any sense of hope. This is what I'm seeing in these newest generations, because I work with a lot of kids, a lot of young adults, college kids. It's not that they're depressed. I mean, some of them are right but there's no future for them they can't imagine a future where it gets any better uh, and we can't imagine a future with a different economic or political system so we're just hyperactive scrolling typing with our fingers um, constantly but what we need to deal with despair is a rational dialogue with another person another body so you can turn that despair into joy if you have someone that's on the same wavelength as you. Um, this is a picture from Columbine. That's Danny on the sidewalk, um, one of the first people to be shot on April 20th, 1999. His parents found out, finalized that he was dead when they saw this in the newspaper the next day. And his body laid on the sidewalk for 28 hours, including snowfall. So my reasoning 
not to be grotesque, but my reason for showing you this and to talking about this stuff is we're not going to change things through rational intellect. I have to hit you on an emotional level to get buy-in, that we're all connected, we're all in this together. There really isn't this, uh, this sense of divisiveness that the media keeps telling us, you're on this camp, you're in this camp, red versus blue. That's not, that's not real reality. People have nuanced ideas you know, about politics and lots of different things, and we're not gonna agree on everything. It's like, it's like this, you know, back to the, the phone, it's like this match.com world where I, I can only be in, in relationship with you if we match on our profiles and our beliefs. It's garbage. It's not, there's nothing interesting if you, if you only hang out with somebody just like you. <laughs> you want to hang out with people that are different than you. Okay, so through this process, I want you to experience despair, but I also want you to experience joy because there are things we can do. Uh, my training, in addition to social work, is in Zen Buddhism. So I started studying with a teacher in 2009. And if you really whittle it all down in terms of, uh, you know, kind of uh, this Japanese Eastern philosophy, it's, it, my teacher would always say, it's an appropriate response. So I'm going to give you, in the end, what I think is an appropriate response, what we can uh, do about that. But if you want to learn more about Zen, I'm going to talk on Friday morning here uh, in one of the, one of the rooms. So do, do people remember Columbine uh, that were old enough to remember? Uh, Eric Harris and Dylan Klebold uh, planned this bombing for a year and a half. It was not a school shooting. They were reenacting the Oklahoma City bombing that happened on April 19th, whatever the, the year was, I can't remember. So they had gasoline stored in their cars so that it would blow up the paramedics and the news fans afterwards. They had over 100 bombs in the school. Eric Harris wasn't that good at making bombs. He experimented with napalm and other things, but they didn't go off. He, they were trying to kill everyone in the whole school, not just take out a few people. That whole school would have exploded had the bombs worked. That's part of the reason why you see Danny laying on the ground is because the police didn't go in. They were afraid of setting off uh, these bombs. So it was a failed bombing, but it was a military operation. Eric Harris's dad was a Marine, and I can't imagine he had a real soft upbringing. He was an Army brat. You know, they moved all around. Uh, but he's, he's described in Dave Cullen's book as a psychopath. Uh, and whether that's true or not, you have Eric that's more... You know, psychopathic traits like conning others for profit, manipulation, deception, deception. He lied all the time. And then you have Dylan, who's this brainiac, fairly, you know, sort of autistic uh, kid that, that would just bury his feelings. And he was super depressed. He was suicidal for two years. So they come together in this symbiotic uh, process where they, they practice carrying out missions beforehand. You know, so it starts with little games of cops and robbers where they shoot their BB guns at things, they little petty theft, they break into a car. And, and one important thing is that the sheriff's department was aware of Eric Harris and that he had a website threatening to blow up different kids and they didn't follow up on it. So this could have been stopped. And it's an important point because all of the, almost all of the mass shooters leak information before the event, before the spectacle that they tell somebody 
um, about it. And there was all kinds of red flags with Eric and they had been through a jail diversion program. But uh, Eric was, you know, a revolutionary kind of thinker. He wanted to kill mankind. So they, they both had this, this social Darwinian ideology to the extreme. You know, we evolved from primates, okay, through natural selection. The, the, the stronger survived. That idea, they took it to the extreme that it didn't matter what they did. They were these godlike uh, kids, and everybody else was too stupid to understand their plans. So it was very grandiose idea. But, but really think military operation bombing. This was a terrorist attack. They didn't do it at a mall. They didn't do it at a park. They did it at schools. And he wrote about this in his journal so that everybody would be afraid for their daily lives, for their kids to go to school. They wanted everybody to be afraid. So it was a terrorist attack. You know, all these mass shootings, nobody ever says it's a terrorist attack. It's a terror attack. I mean, they're not in a terrorist group per se. But why? Why? These guys were going nowhere, in a sense, relationally. Uh, Dylan was about to go to college, but Eric, you know, he wanted to get laid and he couldn't. Dylan, you know, wanted to be in love and he couldn't. So they were experiencing this powerlessness, this despair. And did they deal with it? No, they just continued their hyperactive, grandiose plans in gathering ammunition. And that's another thing is that they had other people that connected them with the guns. So we got to stop thinking about it as the, the, the madmen, gunmen. They're in relational processes, like the Highland Park shooter, his dad signed off for him to get guns. There's people that are thinking, well, I'm just trying to help this person, not knowing that they're going to do a mass shooting. So it's a relational process. And that gets into what I won't talk about this afternoon, game analysis, which is what I do. So cops and robbers is a psychological game. We're trying to avoid getting busted by the police. This is just an escalation of that, an extreme dangerous escalation of it. But it's a relational process. So they experienced this agitation and they didn't deal with it. Interestingly, they go into the school around 11:17 a.m. and the shooting is done by, I wanna say 11:45. okay, they go into uh, the library where they finally uh, commit suicide. But why didn't they go around killing more? It was, it was fish in a barrel. I mean, they're just locked in their classrooms, right? Because they, they, the agitation is bound up energy, okay? When they release that, it's cathartic. So they come back to reality. And so, and so they got bored. They, they, were, they were done with this sadistic act, and then they killed themselves. So it's really, of course, a suicide plan, but they're trying to resolve this agitation. Like I said, despair is not a mental illness. Agitation is not a mental illness. We need to teach, especially teenagers, to calm the f down, right? To de-escalate. This is what I got a four-year-old. All he is is agitation, right? You got to calm down. You got to breathe. One of the things I do with clients is teach them meditation, okay? But when you get agitated, you stop really thinking. Okay, you just got, you know, little kids when they're, you know, two, they get so agitated and they bite or they hit a kid, you know, they take toys, mine. Okay, we need to um, be promoting 
this de-escalation because all the calls for these mass shootings is more mental health, more mental health. This is, this is a mental health issue so much as everything is a mental health issue. Okay, this is a cultural problem, this, this uh, survival of the fittest, this uh, becoming the, the top gun is, is what we're scripted in. Okay, and so with Eric and Dylan, they wanted to be famous. They want to be the notorious. Um, <clears throat> they wanted to top the quote-unquote body count that Timothy McVeigh did. So, so they designed the spectacle for TV. They knew there would be helicopters. They knew it would be uh, filmed. And they, and they named the massacre Natural Born Killers, if you know that, that movie with Woody Harrelson. You know, two traumatized kind of psychopathic uh, individuals that go on this murder spree and the, the media sort of promotes it, endorses it. Uh, so the, it's exhibitionistic violence that we're seeing. There was a, a suicide locally here at a high school. Uh, and what the person did was they shot themselves in the parking lot. You know, when I was a kid, there was a suicide at my school. The person hung themselves in their room, tucked away. Now we have this exhibitionism. Why? Because we're compelled to promote ourselves online. So they had to do all this planning so they would get on TV. They had all their journals. They had videotapes that they made that they were given. They, they, they wanted the news in the newspapers to find them. Of course, they did. Now you can buy a gun in the morning and live stream it in the afternoon, right? So the reason I, I'm showing you this historical act is because it tells us the medium is changing. Now we're in uh, the era of the smartphone. Television is basically going away. It's going extinct. So, so Dylan and Eric wanted to go viral. And that's the aim online. You got a channel, a platform, a profile. Your audience is the entire internet. You want to uh, move to the top of the, the network based on your content. And Excuse me, because it's an amoral process, it doesn't mean if you, it doesn't matter if you killed somebody or you take a picture of your niece, you know, it's just the most clicks, the most hits that rises to the top. One of the things I do with uh, psychotherapy clients is what's called script analysis. And the theory, without going too much into it, is that uh, as a little kid, you decide, you know, four, five, six years old, you make a decision. Uh, in terms of how your life is going to be. Like when I was a kid, I decided I'm never going to be like my dad. You want to know what happened? <laughs> your guess is right. I turned out exactly like my dad in many, many ways. Okay. So even though I tried to rebel against my programming and my family history, I basically follow. It's like, it's like walking on one side of the street versus the other. You're still pointing at that other side. So I'm still following the script. So this life decision... Uh, tells you who you are, who other people are, and how you're supposed to live your life, what you're gonna, gonna do. And there's certain ways that we can um, analyze this in, in psychotherapy. Um, what I think the dominant script is in the United States, you know, we're, we're still this rugged individualism, this living on the frontier with our muskets and, you know, uh, sidearms, that sort of thing, is it's all about me, and I have to sort of make an empire of myself uh, because we're all sort of entrepreneurs, especially with the virtual world. You're basically creating 
your own brand online. Uh, and so what, what does that entail then? Well, if you're trying to be the, the top gun, you got to get revenge. You got to be competitive and win. Think of the, the dog fighting uh, in the movie Top Gun, you know, Maverick. He's the best of the best. He's the elite. This is, what's, this is the, the sort of air we breathe in the United States. It's very hard to notice, but I see it through the, the media that my little kids watch. Everything is, we're going to solve problems through competition and violence. Okay, that's what they're, they're absorbed in. Not we're all, you know, cooperatively in relationship with one another. Uh, so the, the, the game that the, the mass shooter is playing is, now I've got you, you son of a That's one of the, the revenge games in transactional analysis. But it's the same as, you know, when Biden gives the green, nut, green light to drop a, a missile on the Al-Qaeda leader, you know, Ben Laden's right-hand man, Zawahari, in Afghanistan. You know, they dropped a Hellfire missile that doesn't have an explosive in it. It has knives, basically swords, that protract out of the missile. And so they, you know, cynically call it the Ginsu bomb, because it's like a Ginsu knife. So Zawahari, this 70-year-old man, steps out on a balcony in Afghanistan, and this is, you know, 22 years after uh, 9-11 happened that he supposedly orchestrated and at a thousand miles per hour six swords in a kind of medieval assassination and, and Biden says yeah we got him don't, don't mess with the United States so that we all absorb that you know living in this culture that that's just what you do and I'm not saying whether we should have assassinated him or we shouldn't have the messaging is we're the top gun Nobody messes with the United States, right? We're the, the world's superpower. So the, the mass shooting is a reflection of that, that type of uh, imperialism, that dominating of space and time. I mean, why, why would they go to schools? Well, kids are an easy target, right? They can't fight back. That's why uh, you shoot them. So we can't ignore the, the facts about guns. We can debate how we should deal with it. But the top five countries with the most guns have the most mass shootings. I mean, it seems like cause and effect. Um, we're number one. And, you know, I'm, I'm aware of the Second Amendment and I'm, I'm uh, you know, skeptical when there's any pushback on the Second Amendment. But we don't really need any more guns. There's 400 million in circulation, 10 to 15 million AR-15s alone. And if people think we're going to fight back the state with arms, <laughs> let me tell you, that's not going to happen. We got 120 guns per, per 100 people, so that includes kids. Okay, there's some like 330 million people in the U.S. I think, 400 million uh, guns. But just in the last couple years. 57 million guns sold. So that's, you know, war, this war machine that keeps the economy going uh, <clears throat> is we supply the arms, obviously, and currently to Ukraine and other countries. But that's what we make. We make personality and we make weapons in the United States. And you see that come together uh, with the mass shooting. Them. They're trying to be the top gun. Uh, but again, I, I see this as a uh, what they call a banal script, or that we're all living in this. The mass shooter is just the extreme of uh, 
the kind of cultural narcissism, you know, hyper individual individualism. It's all about me. So it's an incredibly violent culture. 300 people shot a day, 100 people killed a day by guns, you know, but everything in the media tells us about the wars that are going on way over here. F almost, what, 45,000 people killed by guns in 2022? Doesn't that sound like a war? How many people have died in Ukraine? 40,000, something like that. Three people are shot a day by the police, most of them unarmed, most of them poor, most of them poor people of color. And so it's this, this masculine uh, Top Gun promotion. You know, you get your man card when you have a gun. Eric Byrne, the, the founder of transactional analysis, said you have situational power with a gun. Uh, so if I, this is totally fake <laughs> trigger warning, but if I had a gun right now, okay, that would force all of you into relationship with me. You have to be in relationship because otherwise you'll get, you'll get killed. So it gives me this one-up status, that I, this arrogant position that you got to do whatever I say, that kind of thing. So that's what these shooters are trying. They feel like losers. They feel like they've had all these injustices done to them. So they get a gun and they feel like a man. You know, it's 98% of these shootings are done by males. Most of them 15, 16, 17 years old. Uh, they feel like the top gun. Uh, and everyone has to bow down uh, before them because of that. They're forced into a relationship with them. Just to give you an idea about the, the numbers in terms of people killed by guns, since 1977 is more than all the wars combined, even the Revolutionary War. This is a map of the mass shootings in the United States in 2022. But mass shooting defined as um, four or more people shot. Now, the media calculates when three people are killed, not, uh, not including the shooter, as a mass shooting. But if you count when four people, like there's more than four people in here. If somebody came in, okay, and we're all shot at, it's 647 mass shootings, which means basically two a day uh, that happen. Now, what, what I thought was interesting as I was putting this together, and I kind of looked back at some other maps of this, is where are there no mass shootings? You know, look at the states, West Virginia, Montana, Idaho. What's interesting is these are the states per capita with the highest gun ownership. The most guns have the least mass shootings. All these other, you know, the, <clears throat> the coast, Obviously, New York, California, Texas, Alaska, you can't see on there, high gun ownership, low mass shootings. But these are the states with the highest suicide rates. So anybody that says guns don't kill people, people kill people, no, guns kill people. And clinicians like me have known forever that if you take away access to means, people will not kill themselves. If they put a net around the Golden Gate Bridge, 24 people, would, serve, would live another year. But they don't do it because of the aesthetics of the Golden Gate Bridge. But people will drive to the Golden Gate Bridge because they decide that's the symbol of suicide and they'll, they'll jump off it. So if you put guns in safes, crazy idea, right? If you, if you lock them away, people don't have access to them, less likely to die. So now, let's look at the numbers for uh, 
three or more people being killed, not counting um, the shooter. And, and, and this isn't new. You know, they called it rampage killings. When I was a kid, it was going postal. Violence has always happened. Uh, and I, I don't have magical thinking, you know, that we'll never have violence anymore if we just solve this, this problem. But it's specific to, uh, you know, if you look at it from an economic standpoint, globalization in the 80s, this, uh, this counter-revolution, a, a very conservative uh, economic system, we've had this rise in mass shootings. So you can see in the 80s, uh, very few. You have the bar graph for the number of shootings and the red line is number of victims. I put in number of people shot in these mass shootings. So you have the Las Vegas massacre in 2017. Um, and the connection I make here is with the platforms, with the, with the virtual world, because you, for free, I mean, you can just promote this uh, spectacle. But in general, big tech encourages us to exhibit ourselves. What, what did you have for breakfast? What did you have for lunch? Where are you going? You know, tell us all about yourself. Complete transparency. Uh, you know, when, when COVID happened, uh, not to get political, <laughs> when COVID happened, I, got, I was very suspicious because uh, I had just read Shoshana Zuboff's book, The Age of Surveillance Capitalism. And she talked about how whenever there's a crisis, the big tech companies, they have this software, this new technology, they just wait to push it. So they pushed it uh, in 2020. Remote work, uh, school from home, you know, how much money do you think these tech companies made uh, during that? It was windfalls. Uh, so they're all behind that. So, so the whole uh, virtual world is driven by uh, spectacle. Uh, and, you know, violence is always something that becomes more viral. So the, the authors here are, this is from the book, The Violence Project. Um, so they have, with, they have a Minnesota connection um, too. I, I don't endorse everything they say, but they make this connection between, you know, competitive performance, exhibition, exhibitionism, self-promotion. Um, <clears throat> and so if we look at the numbers, 2020, a lot of lockdowns, mass shootings go down. Um, 2021 coming out of the lockdowns and 2022 is near a, a record in terms of number of uh, school shootings. But I've done, you know, I've done a, a lot of lecturing in the past and you could put up here income inequality, you could put up here mental health disorders, uh, prison industrial complex, you know, the graphs look the same. They look very similar. Okay, so Focusing more on uh, the virtual world, you know, the, the smartphone isolates us. You know, say what you will about television, but you could congregate around the television, right? Not the, the smartphone, it keeps us separate. Uh, and it keeps us, you know, as Orwell understood in this kind of hypnotized state. We don't even know why we're going on, right? We push the button, we, why am I on YouTube? Like it's our, and they want it to be as quick as possible, as reflexive as possible. So if you can think it, you know, and operationalize, you know, stuff on Amazon, they'll, they'll have that. But it's, it's like the, the Top Gun script is promoting this competition and hyper-individualism. This is uh, mindlessness. 
because if Spotify just gives you what music to listen to and Netflix just gives you the choices of what to watch uh, and TikTok you can just sit there drooling as the video keeps playing it's drowning us okay so we're not thinking I tell my clients you have to think you're responsible for solving problems uh, so so really the issue with you know all of this technology thinking for us is that we don't think ourselves and we're we're not accessing the part of the personality structure for mindful awareness what's happening in the body I'll talk a little bit um, about that as we go but I have much longer lectures that go into all of this I want I want to give you kind of a taste for um, of what this this symbiotic uh, process looks like and so this is where you can use your take out your pieces of paper so you can at least say you learned something uh, <clears throat> So you got two pieces of paper, draw three circles like this uh, on the front side of each piece of paper. It's just like a snow person you're drawing. So this is the, the personality structure that Eric Byrne developed in the 1950s. Um, the, the P stands for parent. Uh, I'm going to give you the short version, but the parent is a copy of your parent figures. So, you know, your parents' voices are inside your head, right, whether they're dead or alive. Uh, it's still there, and that parent state is meant for raising little kids. So if you don't have kids and you have kids tomorrow, you'll raise them like your parents raised you, like their parents raised them, and on and on. So this is, this is socialization that gets passed on to each generation, but the parent state is analytical. So you can write power next to it. Think about a, a stoplight. The red light doesn't say, well, you know, sit wherever or stop wherever you want. It's like you have to stop right here at this line. So the parent state is black or white, good or bad. These are, these are the morals that our parents taught us. So our conscience, in a sense, is the parent state. But that's conditioned externally. So from your parent figures, from your siblings, from the, the wider culture, it's meant for power and control. Okay, so you can put put that next to the the P. The adult, just like a, a stoplight, you know, the yellow doesn't say go stop. It says pay attention. Right? It's just like in the moment, what's going on? Do I go through the intersection? So the adult is objective. It's rational. It's basically mindfulness. They didn't have that term, you know, 70 years ago. Uh, but it's objective. In contrast with the child state, you know, the green light is go. It's a lot of energy. So the child is the strongest part of the personality structure. There was a time where all of us were little and our heart rate was 120 beats per minute. You know, and we weren't walking around saying, holy shit, I'm going to have a panic attack. You, that was just how you were wired when you were a kid. Okay, so that's the child state. Is, it's childlike. And just like a child, it's all about connection. You know, when I read books to my kids, do they want to sit off to the side? No, they want to sit on dad's lap. We have that yearning for connection. We're social mammals, okay? We want to be uh, connected. So it's, re it's really about, uh, you know, it's the child state is more potent than the parent state. So think if, if you've ever, if you have kids or you've ever babysat, you know, it's a conservation of energy. You know, 
you know, not don't let them light the house on fire. I mean, you just have to make sure they survive, you know, so that's the parents say, but you can be, if you're in a, a marriage or a partnership, you know, one person can say, we should do it this way. And you can say, no, we should do it this way. And you're all, you're always going to have conflict because you were raised in different, you know, cultures, different family systems. So I teach people to understand that there are really multiple. There's basically like three different people uh, inside your head, but I want them to access the yellow light or the adult state so that they can realize that most of this stuff in their head was conditioned when they were real little, you know, to make sure that they would survive. Uh, but it's not really applicable anymore. But, you know, I mentioned that script analysis, you make some decisions based on that conditioning. I said I was never going to be like my dad. Okay, it's usually an absolute. Um, so you have, you have two pieces of paper, right? And so on one, you have parent, adult, child. You can put power, possibility, and potency. And on the other one, parent, adult, child, you can put control, um, choice, and connection. Those are the functions of the three different ego states. So the parent is control, the adult is choice. What am I going to pay attention to? Uh, the child is connection. So now think of, think of these as two different people, okay? Because if you're multiple, you're three ego states, that's you by the time you're about six, seven years old. Uh, symbiosis is when two people become one. So think of a, a mother and an infant, a breastfeeding infant. Um, the baby doesn't even know that they're a baby or that they're separate from anything else, right? They're conscious, but they can't think the way we can think. You know, they think the way a, a turtle or a cat <laughs> thinks. They don't have self-awareness, right? We can all agree on that at <laughs> a few weeks old. So the mother on the left does the thinking for the baby, right? When the baby cries, the mother produces milk reflexively. She doesn't think, hmm, what is that crying all about? And <laughs> where am I? No, it, it produces. It's reflexive. Okay, so symbiotic relationship, there's this reflexiveness. And so obviously there, we got a baby and we got a mother. But if you've ever experienced this, you know, in real life, they're operating as one unit. Right? Two, I mean, hopefully they end that before the baby goes to college. <laughs> but they're essentially one unit. So you have one, two, three um, ego states. This is a symbiotic uh, relationship. Questions about that? We have the baby on the right and the mother on the left because she's going to neglect aspects of her personality to focus, especially in the beginning, so the baby doesn't die. Take care of the needs. You know, when did they sleep? When do they need to eat? You know, don't lay them on their stomach, stuff like that, okay? So the mother has ego consciousness. She's aware of herself as separate, okay, as an, a separate object individual. The baby has simple consciousness. So whatever's happening in the environment is happening for the baby. They're not thinking, huh, wonder if I'm going to take a nap today <laughs> and how long I'm going to sleep for, okay? It's a reflective, or excuse me, a reflexive experience, direct experience. This is what I'm going to talk about on Friday. Zen says, is it possible to go back to that simple consciousness, that time before you knew who you were? It's very different than the Top Gun script. You got to make an empire of yourself. Zen says, no, 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 that's delusion, okay? So, now let's, draw, let's tie this to the virtual world. 
these platforms are doing all the thinking for us and they're presenting us with choices. Do you want A or B, C or D? Based on our behavioral data, it's making calculations, you know, it's just machine learning or artificial intelligence to say, well, I bet he's gonna like this video, okay? And so we don't have to think. Now, I was just working with a client this morning, dealing with a lot of uh, grief, sadness, and I said, so what are you gonna do now that you feel sad and you've worked through this? Well, usually I'd go home into my bed and just put on the, the feed, the scroll, Netflix, so I don't have to think. So, so getting away from whether that's good or bad, we're not a full person when we're online. I mean, I, I know this from actual experience. When my kids are watching shows, <laughs> they're gone. <laughs> they're not in the room, right? There could be a fire around them, and they're like, five more minutes. You know, it's like they're not present. If I'm, if I'm checking my email, I don't know what's going on in the world. If I'm reading a book, there's still some level of awareness. I can catch my two-year-old before she falls off the couch. In here, it's that self-hypnosis that Orwell warned about, okay? That it's, that it's, from Peter Hershock's perspective, the colonization of consciousness itself is, we'll do, and it's this kind of game, you know, happy to help. Well, let, let's take, I'll take over your calendar and your bank account and what you want to watch for movie. Let me, let me do that for you so you don't have to think, okay? But they're exploiting us. Everybody knows this, right? You, you say something about cats and then it's in your, your news feed, okay? It's just always listening to give us what we want. So we're, even though we feel autonomous, we're the baby that's just sitting there wanting and wanting and wanting. Uh, and it's really just to deal with boredom and we don't want to, you know, reflect and think about our own thinking so it's not it's not big brother from 1984 this is coercion through craving that we're constantly desiring things online and that keeps us hooked into this symbiotic uh, relationship technically we're always in a symbiotic process okay so up here I'm mostly in the parent state because I'm lecturing I'm telling but I could tell you about myself more in the child state, or I could use examples about what's happening right now, like we can hear the HVAC, that's the adult state that's really happening right now. You know, so, so technically we're always in this symbiotic process. The problem is we're usually not aware of it. So I'm not saying never go online, I'm saying be aware of what you're getting into here when you're doing it. And, and it's, not, it's not hyperbolic to, to use that term because Elon Musk has literally said we have to you know, out, outrun the pace of these super intelligent machines. Artificial intelligence, I don't have time to go into all of it. It's neither artificial nor intelligent, okay? You have to, you have to mine the earth, first of all, to get the, the uh, minerals, the metals, and the things that go into these programming. People have to put that data into the machine, usually uh, very precarious labor, you know, third world countries that, that do this data work for these companies. But it's intelligent only in that it can select between zeros and ones. That's all the machine learning is doing. The whole, everything online is zeros and ones in terms of codes. So it's not intelligent. Uh, it's never gonna be, uh, it's never gonna eclipse human consciousness, and I'll tell you why. Uh, for the same reason that my, you know, when he was three years old, my son could walk outside and say, you know, I think it's gonna rain today. And he, he is not a meteorologist, <laughs> my middle child, he had an intuition. Uh, artificial intelligence doesn't have intuition because that's common sense. As you make these programs, the more generalized you make them, the less good they get. 
Okay, so all this stuff about a singularity, it's all hype because they want us drowning in data. Okay, hypnotized. And, and so he, Musk has said, he literally thinks we need to have computer chips in our head. Neuralink, okay? If you can't beat him, join him. Talk about the Top Gun <laughs> script. I mean, this guy is a complete psychopath. It's unbelievable. And so he, he wants to, like he's done with this monkey, put a computer, not put, thread the computer with the neurons in the brain. Uh, <clears throat> so that we're in this complete symbiosis. And it's not a, it's not a conspiracy theory. They just want to feed us more of what we want. So we'll just buy shit we don't need and we won't get into the streets and we won't do it. I mean, this is not conspiratorial. It's all about capturing desire at the neuronal level. That's what they want. Okay, and so they're going to push this, whether you're wearing a stupid helmet on your head or you actually put a device in your brain, it's so that they can guess what we want. That's what this is all about. You know, it's funny with neuroplasticity, you know, the saying is, you know, uh, neurons that uh, fire together, wire together. There's like actually like an analogy to guns in, in neuroplasticity, that idea of that we can change our brain or that's always changing based on our environment. So I don't know. I'm, I'm not convinced of all of neuroscience and neuroplasticity, but it's pretty obvious our brains are constantly in flux and changing. The physical, you know, you remember the, the eggs in the, in the frying pan. The, <laughs> if you use drugs, your, your brain's going to turn into mush, that whole thing in the, in the 90s. You know, your brain is always changing, and you can, uh, and basically what you pay attention to is how your brain changes. So you can control that in terms of things like meditation practice. Uh, but, but why aren't there any studies of the, the effects of people you know, spending 13 hours a day on screens? Because that's what the average American is doing, 13 hours. I can't imagine it's real good for the brain, right? And so the, the other script that's happening, you know, we got the top gun, mindlessness. We're cut off. We're just our heads. Okay, we're not bodies. We're just at what is a Zoom meeting? It's just your head. Telehealth. I refuse to do telehealth. I wasn't going to do it. I would rather die from a virus than do telehealth. So I kept meeting with people during the pandemic. But when you do telehealth, you just have the person's mind. But when I'm in a therapy session with somebody, how they move their body tells me a lot more than what they're saying. Because we don't always say what we're thinking, right? And we, and we even deceive ourselves about things. So I work with bodies, not with just minds. So the joylessness scripting is about we're just going to be passive consumers and get what we want, but it's based on our cognition. So that keeps us in this perpetual state of desire. You know, when you, when you have been on YouTube for an hour and then you go off, you don't feel refreshed and good and, oh, I feel so satisfied. You feel just as bored as when you went on YouTube before, right? So it's this kind of joylessness, but we're hooked in with desire. But pleasure is a relational process. It's between bodies, you know, full-bodied uh, individuals. And so I think you, you can combine these things in terms of if people, you know, how could you not be thinking to some degree about mass shootings when you go into a school or Walmart, even if it's below your awareness? Uh, that sense of despair is not getting met relationally. We need social movements to meet that despair and discuss different ideas on, on what to do because this tension, this agitation needs to be dealt with. Dylan and Eric did not, could not 
uh, deal with it. So they had these grandiose ideas about, um, you know, they were going to change the world through, through terror, that kind of thing. So here's my idea. I think on April 20th, which is the, the anniversary of Columbine, we don't go to work, we don't go to school, we stay home. Because it's statistically, is the most likely day for a school shooting, is April 20th. That's according to the FBI. So I already put in my calendar for my kindergartner, Daddy Day. We ain't going to school on April 20th. Uh, and and my, my son, he's six, he's uh, very interested in, in war and violence, and so he started writing a book. You know what he titled it? All is Love. And he wants everybody to know that war is not good. Is that we need love, we need peace, we need de-escalation. April, historically, is the most violent month in the United States, going back to the Revolutionary War. You know, you have that, especially in northern uh, states, coming out of that dark winter energy, you know, bound up energy comes out, suicides go up, homicides go up. Uh, <clears throat> so recall, Columbine was meant to be on the 19th. People thought, oh, the 20th is Hitler's birthday. That's why they did it. I mean, and Harris was into Nazism, for sure. They didn't have the supplies on the 19th. They pushed it back the next day. So we can remember those victims. We can remember all of them. Remember Dylan and Eric were children. They were suicidal. Uh, they were only 17 years old. Um, but also the Oklahoma City bombing, how we got here in terms of a country. You have the Virginia Tech massacre, which eclipsed the Columbine. Uh, so we need to turn down the temperature, is what I'm saying, in the United States. And it feels like it's going up, and something big is going to break. But again, we all don't want people getting, innocent people getting shot with guns, right? We, we can agree on that. It has nothing to do with politics. Certainly don't want kids being shot. But the people in power, the elites, and I know I only have five minutes here, but they are not going to do anything. They're, they, after Columbine, you know how much legislation got pushed through and passed? Zero. Parkland, nothing's changing. They will, they will not do anything because they want us to be afraid. And again, they want us to be passive. So I say let's consciously be passive. Stay home, get high, do whatever you want to do. You know, uh, passivity, withdraw. We're not going to do this and we're going to do this together because we actually have the power, and it's our own powerlessness that can change um, this system, that together we're very potent because we can imagine new ways of being and we can come together and make changes. Chris Hedges is somebody I like, Franco Berardi. And I should say I have references uh, that I can send all these books I've mentioned and things if you're interested. But I think these two have a pretty good understanding of what's going on uh, in the world if you're looking for that critique. Get in touch with me. Um, that, that website, I think, is up, should be up. These, these are brand new ideas. And <laughs> believe me, I don't know what I'm doing with any of this. But I'm using my intuition, uh, thinking and talking with people about this issue. I think things can happen. I mean, social movements are slow. But they can also be very uh, fast as well. So if we come together around this mass shooting issue, you know, the other thing I think about that's terrifying is, you know, there's cameras in all the classrooms. So, you know, hopefully your kid isn't on the sidewalk dead, but if they get killed in the classroom, you're going to watch it later. I mean, 
it's really it's really sick. Cameras do not keep us safe. We've been manipulated into thinking that surveillance is like really good for us and helpful. Put it on your doorbell. It doesn't keep us safe. It, it keeps the people in charge in charge. Uh, so <clears throat> that's what I've got today. If you if you have uh, you know, any interest, get in touch with me. I have cards here. But a lot of this information you can find on a, a podcast I started a few years ago. The short version is I, I, at that point, had said, you know, I'm done with any social media. I'm not doing any of this stuff. And I read uh, Jenny O'Dell's book, How to Do Nothing. And she kind of convinced me, all right, I'll put some stuff out, but it's going to be on my terms. And it's basically lectures, a lot of it. It's me talking about transactional analysis, Zen, uh, the mass shooters, um, that kind of thing. But I just, I have a hunch that we need community engagement, dialogue, education, you know, things like gun licenses. Uh, campaigns, educational campaigns around safes and, and safety with gun ownership, uh, stuff like that that I'm sure we would all be pretty close in agreement on, but the media is going to keep telling us we're really far away on uh, this issue. So thank you so much for your attention. I really appreciate it. It's great talking with you.